uh, Joel chapter 2 uh, this morning, Joel chapter 2, this, during this time of COVID, I sense the Lord impressing upon my heart to speak to the church, to us, the church, on revival. And when we come to the book of Joel, uh, there's a message here that um, calls us to return to the Lord. And we need to, to consider that uh, this morning. Seven words. We've heard them said with a sigh of hopelessness and a cry of anguished grief. We've heard these seven words in hospital rooms and deep conversations with friends. We've uttered these words in times of calamity and adversity. You say, what are these seven words expressing the loneliness of suffering? I just don't know where to turn. I would imagine that all of us have said these words at some time in our lives. We get to the end of our endurance and we do not know what to do. We face in seemingly impossible situations that are beyond our understanding and our abilities to find solutions. What is in front of us, all the options seem equally unacceptable or unworkable. Sometimes it's physical suffering that brings us to that place where we do not know where to turn. Emotional pain can be just as excruciating. Failures, broken relationships, anxiety, fear can all paint us into that lonely corner. And there are times when these seven words take on a third person intensity of shared dilemma, marital tension. Families in crisis, a church needing renewal, and we cry out, we just don't know where to turn. I think of what we're facing as a nation right now, the monumental problems that are in front of us. We wring our hands over the crisis and the chaos on our streets. We are baffled by what is happening in our cities. We add to that the crisis that has come to our, into our lives through this pandemic that we are now becoming so familiar with called COVID. And we wonder where are we to turn. And this is the task that Joel faced as a prophet. Judah faced a terrible invasion of locusts that had devoured their crops and had decimated their economy. On top of that, they were facing an ominous threat from an unnamed army from the north. And what was the nation of Judah to do? Where were they to turn? I imagine the people in Joel's day were much like the people of our day. And they were asking the question is, when will things return to normal? And the prescription that Joel gave to the people of God then is the prescription that God gives to us today in Joel chapter 2, when you do not know where to turn, return to the Lord. That's the message that Joel gave. This idea of returning to the Lord is the central message in the book of Joel. He's the prophet of revival. At a time of natural, national catastrophe, uh, Joel called the people of God then, the people of God today, 
to return to the Lord. He was their only hope then. He's our only hope today. And so through the prophet Joel, the Lord himself reiterates what he had spoken centuries earlier to King Solomon at the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And in that verse, we have the prescription, the conditions for personal and for national revival. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And this morning, I want us to consider that fourth condition for personal and national revival. If my people, who are called by my name, will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Let's read our text for this morning. Joel chapter 2, verse 17. Ken, I'm going to skip that next section in the outline there. Let's look into the Word of God there. Uh, beginning with verse 12, Joel chapter 2. We're going to look primarily at verses 12 through 14. Initially, I thought, well, I'll preach on the whole chapter of Joel. Joel chapter 2. And then I narrowed it down to Joel chapter 2, verse 17. And then this weekend has gone down to, to verses 12, 13, and 14. But I trust the Lord has a word for us this morning. And so if you have the scriptures in front of you, let's read God's word together. Beginning with verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, even now, return to me with all of your heart. With fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend not your garments, or rend your hearts, and not just your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Joel says, for he is gracious and merciful and patient and abounding in steadfast love and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, Gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, let them weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should the people say, why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? So let's consider what the Lord has to say to us this morning in his word regarding revival. There's two ways that Joel calls us this morning to return to the Lord. The first that we're going to see is the plea that, that the Lord himself makes for repentance. And the second, we're going to see Joel holding out the prospect, the promise of revival. First, consider with me the plea uh, for repentance. Verse 12 begins with the very words of the, uh, of the Lord coming from his own mouth. And the Lord begins, even now. Even now. Even now when? 
Even now that the locusts have destroyed everything and your economy is devastated, even now, even now, even though the clouds which are going to bring the judgment of God are forming in the horizon, even now, Matthew Henry, the Puritan uh, commentator from hundreds of years ago, said this, God brings us into straits, that is, into difficult places, that he might bring us to repentance and so bring us to himself. Verse 11 that precedes verse 12, we have God here revealing himself as the one who has stirred up this army from the north to fight against his own people. Then we thought, think about that. That's a disturbing thought. God arousing a foreign army to fight against his own people. Why would God do that? Verse 12. So that he might turn us to himself. And so we must stop and ask ourselves a question this morning. Have we ever experienced that? Have we ever experienced where God has made our lives difficult, where we find our lives being difficult, and we wonder what is going on, and it's none other than God himself making life difficult so that we would turn to him? I read the words this week of a pastor from the Minneapolis area. He wrote this, if I begin to become proud and self-confident and prayer starts to feel unnecessary, God clogs my ways, my way. He brings me down. Things will go sour at home. Tensions arise at work. Sleep is not sweet. Depression builds. Everywhere I turn, there is no joy. He boxes me in and clogs my way. And so where do you find yourself this morning? Are you in a strait, in a difficult place, pressed, do you find yourself this morning pressed between a rock and a hard place? Has the Lord, is the Lord maybe bringing you to this strait, into this strait, into this uh, place between a rock and a hard place for no other reason than to bring about repentance in your life? And so the Lord begins and he says, even now, even now What? Even now, return to me. Even now, return to me. The word that is used here for return is the Hebrew word shuv. I like what one commentator said, tongue in cheek. The Lord is giving his people a shove in the right direction. The word here for return basically means to turn or turn back. It's the word that is used predominantly for repentance. Of the 120 times that is used in this whole idea of repentance or returning back to the Lord, half of the time it is used, nearly half the time, it is used with the preposition to or onto. And nearly half of the time it is used with the preposition from. Both are needed. Repentance is turning away from sin with godly sorrow and turning to or towards the Lord with joy. 
And I began to think and reflect upon this whole idea of where God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And just began to reflect and meditate upon this whole idea of repentance. Uh, I, I had several thoughts. The first thought is this, is that when we think of repentance, oftentimes we think of that word repentance in one of two scenarios. Something we do at the moment of salvation, repent and be saved, or we think of that word as something we must do when we have committed some gross, great, terrible, scandalous sin, a spectacular sin. When you've sinned greatly, then you must repent. That is how often I have thought about that word. And yet this week, as I meditated and reflected upon what God is saying to us here in the Scriptures, I came across what Martin Luther and John Calvin both wrote about this word, about repentance. Martin Luther, in the first of his 95 theses that he's nailed to that Wittenberg church door in Germany at the start of the Protestant Reformation, his first uh, thesis went like this, O Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? O Lord and Master Jesus Christ. In saying repent, he intended that the whole life of believers should be penitence. That our whole life as a follower of Christ is to be a life of repentance. John Calvin, a few years later, would write regarding repentance. He called repentance a newness that for the Christian ought to extend throughout his life. And so repentance is not only what we must do when we are saved. Repentance is not only what is required of us when we sin spectacularly, but for believers, for followers of Jesus Christ, repentance is to be a way of life. Now think with me about this. That our lives as believers, as those who have called upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that our life is not static. It's not that we have repented at one point in our life or maybe we have repented uh, after a, a period in our life but that our lives are continually turning. Our lives are continually in this moment either turning away from the Lord or we're turning towards the Lord. Our lives are continually moving and I think about, as I reflected about this whole idea of turning to the Lord, returning to the Lord, this is, is this not the message that's found in the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews was given to us that we would um, not drift away from the Lord. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us not to be, or warns us about having our hearts hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews chapter 6, we're, um, we're called upon not to be content in just having the elementary knowledge of Jesus Christ, but to go on with Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're warned about uh, forsaking ourselves from assembling together. I think of this 
one of the dangerous effects of the COVID crisis is that we will have become comfortable worshiping at a distance and forsaking or assembling ourselves together. I think when the Lord in his grace gives to us our, our first elders here at the church, that if the Lord grants that to us, I think one of the first things we have to do is we have to consider what does it mean to be the body of Christ and what does it mean to assemble ourselves together? Does the Lord just intend for us to gather together for an hour on Sunday? Is that all he is saying to us? Or does the Lord have more? Hebrews chapter 12 calls us to keep our eyes on Christ as we run the race that is marked out before us. So the message of Hebrews is this one message of continually to return to the Lord, to not to drift away from him. How easy it is to do that in this life. Is this not the message that the angel, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave to the seven churches that were scattered throughout Asia? Where we read that Christ was walking among the churches Does he not do that today? And what did he say in Revelation chapter 2 and 3? I see your deeds. I know where you are at. And five of the seven churches, he gave this one word command. Repent. Have I turned away? Have you turned away? Are we, even though we're here in this room or watching online, or, or even though we're here today, are we beginning to turn away from the Lord? Is, is, through, is the Lord saying to us through the prophet Joel, return to me? And I think when, when the Lord says to us, return to me with all your heart, he's saying, he's, he's telling us something about sin, that sin by its very nature is a sin. Sin by its very nature is drifting away from God. It's abandoning God. It's forsaking God. It's entering into forbidden regions of life. Saying, I can live here without the Lord. And the Lord is constantly telling us to return. Calling us to return to Him. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> it just happens. Thank you. Thank you, John. I appreciate your service. You say, how are we to return? How are we to repent? Hear what the Lord says, with all your heart. With fasting. With weeping. With mourning. Let's consider these uh, words for a moment. With all of your heart. The Lord is not looking for a peace of our life. The Lord is not satisfied, content with a Sunday slice or a piece of our life before a meal or a piece of our life as we fall asleep in our beds at night. Return to me, how? With all of your heart, with all of your being, with, with every part of your, your, your life. Return to me with all of yourself. With fasting, 
Return to me with fasting. The Lord is, is saying, listen, there's, there, this is no time for complacency. There's no, this is no time for half-hearted measures. Fasting, it, it, says, it calls us to, to leave behind the things that we want. Fasting implies a desperation. Fasting describes urgency. And so this is how we're to return to the Lord, with weeping, with mourning. This is brokenness. This is godly sorrow. This is being grieved over our sin. Grieved over opportunities lost and broken relationships and time that has been wasted and dollars that have been squandered and, and offenses that have been created and churches that have been troubled and the gospel not being shared and neglected and souls that are being starved because we no longer feast on the Lord but we find ourselves feeding on the pleasures of this world and our father's heart being wounded. I read of a little boy in Sunday school being asked, what is repentance? And he quickly piped up and he says, he said it was, uh, repentance is being sorry for your sin. The girl beside him, maybe she had been offended by him, said it's being sorry enough to stop. I think we're getting the spirit here of what the prophet Joel is saying to us this morning. And the Lord goes on. Return to me. How? With fasting. With weeping. Mourning. Rend not your garments only. Rend also your hearts. One of the outward signs of repentance was that one would tear their garments. And, and God here says, don't just tear your clothing. Just don't uh, repent externally and and that let it be a surface repentance. No, from the depths of your being, rend your hearts. God is looking into the hearts of our lives. He's looking for this spirit of contrition, this brokenness before God. Uh, God sees beyond the externals and he sees into the very depths of our beings. And so this is what the Lord calls us to, to this kind of repentance. Why must we repent? Listen, if it were not for the Lord Jesus Christ, we, the, the part that I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I skipped over is in Joel, Joel uh, five times speaks about the coming day of the Lord. He talks about that in verse one and verse 11 that the day of the Lord is near, that the day of the Lord is great, that is a terrifying day. Who can endure the day of the Lord? And, and, uh, and so for Joel, Joel saw this, this day of the Lord, the, the, these, these, these locusts that had destroyed the, 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 the harvest, that had devastated the economy, this, this army threat that was bearing down on the nation of Judah. Joel saw these as harbingers, foreshadowing of the great day of the Lord when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to execute judgment against those who have opposed him. And if it were not for Jesus Christ, none of us could stand, right? Uh, it was at the cross, through his death, that the wrath of God was fully satisfied and those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ 
will never have to go through the wrath of God. Right? And yet, Joel calls us to repent. If we do not repent, we will find ourselves under the disciplining hand of God. If we do not repent and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, we will suffer the wrath of God. And so when we begin to consider what God has done, we think about that song, Only a Holy God, who could rescue us from our failings, who would give up his only son, who would invite us to call us to, uh, to call him Father, only a holy God. It is only when we comprehend the gospel that we feel the urgency to turn to the Lord, not glibly, not lightly, not carelessly, not half-heartedly. Oh, when we understand what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, that we understand this call to turn to the Lord with, with all of our heart, with fasting, with mourning, with weeping, uh, rending our hearts, not just our garments. This is the way of revival. And so consider with me in the few moments that we have there the prospect or the promise of revival. The promise of revival. We see this in the second part of verse 13 and 14. Uh, the prophet Joel now speaks, right? The verses 12 and the first part of verse 13 were the words of the Lord. Joel now, the prophet speaks and he says, return to the Lord your God. And so he, he reiterates what God says. He, he, and having explained what it means to return to the Lord, he now gives to us the incentive of, of, of why we should return to the Lord. We're to return to the Lord because of the grace of God. Look there at the second half at verse 13. Return to the Lord. Why? For. For what? For he's gracious. He's merciful. He's patient. He's abounding, overflowing with steadfast love. Uh, Joel here quotes uh, Genesis, or Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And he reminds us who God is. That God is both a God of judgment and he is a God of mercy. If we do not repent, we find ourselves under the disciplining, chastening hand of God. But if we do repent, we find the mercy of God. Um, I forgot to put this in my notes, but this week as I was just studying this reference here of in Joel chapter 2 verse 13 back to Exodus chapter 34 is referenced a number of times in the Old Testament all the time with the assurance that when we Come to God, this is who we find, a God who is gracious and merciful, patient, abounding in steadfast love. Um, I think of um, the patience of God. He waits, he waits, and even now he is waiting, giving us opportunity to return to the Lord. Uh, Romans chapter two, verse four says, do you not know it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I think of the hymn that we sing um, that Drew has introduced to us here recently. Um, <clears throat> My sins are many. His mercy is. My sins are what? His mercy is more. Huh. 
I think of John Newton and the, the beloved hymn, right? Amazing Grace. And John Newton, as he approached the end of his life, he, he declared, he says, there's two things I'm convinced of. The first thing is this, that I'm a great sinner. Now we need to understand this about John Newton. John Newton had, had devoted his early years to slave trade, right? All the things that are um, tearing our country apart right now, John Newton had his hand in. And he said, I know this, that I'm a great sinner. But I'm also certain of this, that Jesus is a great Savior. <laughs> and as I reflected about just what he said and thinking about the things that are, are tearing us as a, a part as a nation, the answer for what ails our nation today is not the destruction of statues and is not making reparations for the past sins of our nation the answer to what is ailing our country is only Jesus Christ. Hear me. Yes, we must repent for the sins of our past. And we must repent of our sins, the sins of today. There's no amen there. Only in Jesus Christ will we find the grace of God to cover our sin. And so this assurance that, that Joel gives, he says, return to the Lord. Why? Because when you return to the Lord, you're going to find, you're going to encounter the grace of God. And, he says that, and so he, just, he says, listen, you need to return to the Lord today. Why? Because in the, in, when you return to him, you'll find the grace of God. And there is also the promise of the gift of God, the gifts of God. Look at verse 14. Who knows? Whether he will turn, not turn and relent. The prophet doesn't have a question. Like, as if, well, God might, God might not. Obviously, revival is of God. We can't force God. We can't do anything to obligate God. But by offering the promise, the prospect, Joel is calling us to turn to the Lord because when we return to the Lord, there is the gift of God. Notice what it says. And leave a blessing behind him. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? The land that had been decimated by the locust would be restored, would be restored and would be blessed. You read what God said he would do in chapter 2. All that the locust had eaten, God would restore. Think with me. How many of us have taken the bait? Sin has promised us pleasure. And sin has promised us advantage and advancement and great gain. And, and, if we, and, and so we, we sin, we rush into sin uh, as fast as we can. And instead of pleasure and advantage and gain and, and all the things that were promised to us, we find our lives, not our land, but our lives having been devoured by the locust. Anybody there? Yes. And the Lord says here, 
through the prophet Joel, the one who returns to me will find that I leave a blessing behind. The life that has been devoured and devastated by sin will be restored, renewed, revitalized by the blessing of God. You say, what does that blessing look like? Look down to verse 27. You shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and that there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. You say, what is the blessing? Some part of the blessing is this, is to know that God is in our midst, that there is no other God. This is the fruit. This is the essence of what revival is, to know that God is in our midst. Oh, that the city of Saginaw would be able to say one day that God is in the midst of fellowship. You say, how does this happen? When does revival come? It begins when we, the people of God, return to the Lord. <laughs> One person said this way, the reason why the church sees, sees so little repentance in the world is the world sees so little repentance in the church. And so this morning, I want us, I call you, I urge you. The Lord himself calls us even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend not your garments. Rend also your heart. What must we return to the Lord from? As I was praying about this this, morning, this week, um, several thoughts came to my mind. Just ask the Lord, what must you return to the Lord? Here's, here's a list to start. Uh, some things that the Lord has been pressed upon me. Uh, our secret and habitual sins. Our secret habitual sins. One of the things that God has been speaking to me about here lately is that if I do not <clears throat> address if we do not address the secret sins of our lives, our secret sins will become habitual sins in our lives, life-dominating sins in our lives. If we do not uproot and deal with sin, that sin have a way of just tangling itself around us. Our indifference to the lost and our disobedience to the Great Commission. I was just thinking and meditating about the wrath of God if we understand, we comprehend the wrath of God, how can we remain silent about the gospel when those who are without Christ are under the wrath of God? Our worldliness and our love for the things that God hates. How easy it is for us to love the things of this world, the things that God hates. Our lukewarm condition on our spiritual apathy. I think of the church in Laodicea where, where the church in Laodicea said, I am rich and I have need of nothing. And God, Jesus, who is walking among the church, says, Oh, you do not know how bad it is. You do not even know how blind and naked and how wretched you are. Our prayerlessness and our independence of God. We have so many things. We have so many advantages here in the United States that we can live life without God. And one of the ways that we demonstrate our, our attempt to live life without God is um, our prayerlessness our toleration and acceptance of respectable sins. Oh, there's the sins that we have in our minds that, that we have judged 
categorically as gross and great in God's eyes. And then there's our sins that we've accepted. The sins of overeating, the sins of our tongue, where gossip, or lying, slander, laziness, and pride are respectable sins that we've tolerated and we've accepted in our lives. And the Lord calls us today to return to Him.